Hello, everybody. Welcome to Relationship Renovation Podcast. I am Tara Kerwin. And I am EJ Kerwin. And today we're really excited for our special guest. EJ, you want to go ahead and introduce her? Absolutely. This is a great episode because I think, you know, we always want to talk about subject matter that's useful and talk about subject matter maybe that that people don't, you know, naturally or instinctively move towards. And our podcast that actually just recently came out, Trans transitions was about navigating the transitions of of life with your partner and we're going to talk specifically about a really a really challenging transition that one you know will eventually you know go through and so we have on this week uh, an executive coach and she is an author and her book is The Sudden Caregiver her name is Karen Warner Schuler welcome Karen to Relationship Renovation Podcast so happy to have you here. Hi, EJ. Hi, Tara. So great to Hi. actually be talking to you since I've listened to you and taken away your wisdom and sharing it with my mostly my family members. Oh, <laughs> thank thank you. you so much. Well, I mean, you know, we always like to begin just by hearing just, just about you. I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you're from, you know, just, just tell us all about you, Karen. Okay. Well, I was born in Philadelphia, um, one of my favorite cities. And I've, I've moved around a lot, so I could also say I'm from Boston because I lived there for 30 years while I was raising my daughter. And my husband, my late husband and I moved to Santa Monica, and we lived there for nine years. We were there on a three-year assignment that turned into nine years. Mm-hmm. And now I live in Beaufort, South Carolina, which is between Charleston and Savannah, and on the coast. And I live here with my wonderful husband, John, and our very empathetic dog, Fenway. Fenway, I love it. (laughs) Yeah, well, she's a Boston dog. So (laughs) I've been an executive coach for 20 years and it's the best job I've ever had. I, before that, I had a long corporate career in high-tech marketing in Boston and everything was on 9-11, everything was fine. And then overnight it wasn't. And I Mm -hmm. decided if this was the end of the world as we knew it, I was going to quit my job as a marketing vice president and mm. become an executive coach and never look back. It is the best decision I've ever made because I do what I do for a living, which is essentially a professional problem solver. It was uh, pretty natural for me to move into the caregiving situation that came to me overnight when Mm. my late husband was diagnosed out of the blue with stage four cancer. And all of a sudden it was like everything that I had ever learned and everything that I had ever done was leading up to that moment of Mm -hmm. life as, as we know it is over. And now I'm a caregiver. Wow. Um, I have a daughter and son-in-law, they live in San Diego and they are the parents of the two most important people in my life, Oliver, who's four, and Lucas, who is two. And Uh I have two stepkids who are grown adult just out of college. My stepdaughter, Haley, lives in Chicago, and my stepson, young John, is in Atlanta. Okay. Oh, what a great introduction. Thank you. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, what brought you here is, uh, is that you, you wrote a book about your experience of, of when your late husband passed away and sort of how you navigated it. And I, I assume how you are helping support people who might be going through the same thing. Absolutely. 
When I became a caregiver in 2014, my husband and I were very close. We immediately pulled together and said, we got to get through this. I really believed we would get through it, that sitting here now, we would be looking Mm -hmm. back and saying, wow, we got through that. That was really great. And, you know, it was hard, but we did it. And unfortunately, I was a caregiver for 18 months until my husband passed away in 2016. And as my caregiving experience unfolded, I'm the kind of person that looks for what other people have figured out, and then I'll just adopt their best practices. Mm. And I couldn't really find those best practices. And I looked at books and studies, and what I was looking for was 53 million caregivers in the United States. Somebody has figured this out and said, do these things. Not so much, there are a lot of books about how to care for someone in a caregiving situation. I was looking for how to self-care. What were the things that would make me a better caregiver? Because what I do know from the research that I was reading about is the better the caregiver is, the better the experience Mm -hmm. for the person in their care. You know, I'm wondering if, you know, one of the primary challenges at the beginning of this and why you ended up writing this book was just that, you know, you guys were young and it was unexpected and just that, that coming sort of out of nowhere and how couples don't even, you know, you just sort of assume it's going to be someplace far, far in the Mm -hmm. future and not, not as a, you know, as a young, you know, relatively young couple. Yeah, I, I think that's so true for us. We had just, we, we had two grown kids. They were launched. We, everyone had jobs and partners and things were going well. My daughter was a couple of weeks away from getting married, actually. Mm. And um, we took a vacation in Rome at the beginning of the summer uh, in June of 2014 And it was the first really carefree vacation we had ever had. And we were, EJ, you're right. We were just like high-fiving each other. We got, (laughs) we're here. (laughs) Yeah. And and then by the end of the summer, my husband was, he just was complaining about a bad back. And we didn't really know what it was, but it turned out that every single morning at breakfast, we were talking about his bad back. And Mm. I had, I've had a bad back and I said, I kept saying, let's just go MRI it. Let's go to the emergency room. And he kept waving me off. You know, he's, we were both consultants. We both had home offices. And he'd just go to his desk and do his next phone call. And what ended up happening was he finally went for the MRI at the end of that summer because he was in so much pain. And I was traveling. I was out of town. And he called me and he said, I, I'm really sick. And so we had our best friend took him to the ER and... I waited all day. I literally fell asleep, fully clothed, waiting to hear that he had gotten Mm. home and everything was fine. And they gave him some painkillers and he's going to do physical therapy. And he called me at two o'clock in the morning and said, I have stage four cancer. And we couldn't believe it. And I absolutely, I'm the problem solver, right? So I'm like, no, there's no way you have stage four cancer. I'll come back and we'll talk to the doctors and we'll figure out what this actually is. Mm -hmm. And, And it turned out, that it was the launch for both of us of this caregiving situation. Yeah, and and when when you say caregiving, I mean help help people understand. Just you know, you know, I think we think of caregiving more at the late stages when somebody is is passing away. But you know, tell tell me about like 
when did that even sort of enter into your into your mindset of that was a role you were taking on and 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 what that began to look like early on? Well, that is a great question because what it looked like was complete chaos and crisis. And in my book, I start with a roadmap that spells the acronym CARE. And what I realized was caregiving goes through phases over time. So in the beginning, it was crisis. Mm -hmm. And then it yields to as normal as possible. And then there's some sort of resolution, hopefully a positive one. In my case, not so. And then evolution, you have to evolve. So it's crisis as normal as possible, resolution and evolution spells the word care. So where I was, was thinking, we're just going to be in crisis until I lose my husband. And we're just going to go crisis, 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 death. And I read a study, this is where reading helped, and it said, it will get better, it will stabilize, and you'll get to a new path and a new place. Uh, but in the beginning, to help other people understand caregiving, I would say whoever is in your care, it happened to be my spouse, but my younger sister cared for my mom until she passed away. So a lot of people right now are caring for aging parents, people with Alzheimer's and dementia, so not just sudden, but this mm -hmm. long haul of care. Yeah. And when you're in that relationship, I call it in my book, the circle of agency. So in the beginning, you've got half, he's got half, or she's got half. Everything's fine. You negotiate sort of, mm -hmm. well, it's not normal, but it's as normal as possible. And then what begins to happen is the caregiver has to be vigilant and understand that whatever this person chooses, however this person chooses to go through their illness is really, it's in coaching, we call it holding the agenda. We have to hold the agenda, the agency for that other person. So an example right. that my friends are going through is trying to decide when their parents can no longer live on their own as they're in their 80s and 90s, and when should they be in assisted living. And that job of being the one who has to take the agency on because they're not going to volunteer and say, oh, yeah, you know, we really shouldn't live here anymore, especially, you know, a lot of people have lived in their homes for 50, 60 years. That's an example. And so what happens is, and certainly what happened to us is over time, my husband couldn't really drive anymore. And but I it's hard to know when that when to call it, right? And right. it's a really big thing to take that away from someone. Sure, yeah. You know, as we sort of launch off here, it's you know, I think I was really looking at this interview with you as and and your book as as talking just about being a caregiver to your partner, and then and then kind of like who wants to sit preventatively and think about you know that being an eventuality and it coming too soon. But then as you're talking, I'm thinking that this book is is one is going to be useful to anyone who, who and, and most of us are going to be a caregiver to a variety of people. Right. And, and it really could be just, a, I mean, unfortunately, just about any way, anyone, it could be a parent, it could be a partner, it could be a friend, it could be a child. And, and the sort of, because we talk a lot about preventative, you know, getting ahead of problems, being ready. Right. And, and it's not necessarily a dark thing to pick up a book like this and understand the role of caregiving and the challenges ahead of time, because it's not just your partner you're talking about. It could be a variety of people. Well, that, yeah. and what I'm thinking too is 
oh my gosh, this book, because I know of three kind of instant caregivers in my life right now. And I know that they are not doing self-care. It's like they're kind of all still in crisis mode. And that you were saying like the reason why I kind of wrote this book is because I could not find a lot of resources out there where how do you care for yourself while you're the caregiver, right? It's kind of the same thing. Like if mom takes care of herself, she can be a better parent. It's the same thing. And I'm just thinking, wow, this is going to be so helpful to have like some type of system for the caregiver to do some reflection, to kind of try to be their best selves through a really difficult, even tragic situation. Tara, thank you. That's so true. And I think that when I first started looking for a book that would help me, I I felt like, well, am I just being selfish? Like it's all about me when I'm taking care of, of my husband. But it turns out, and I have a degree in positive psychology, so oh. positive stuff doesn't fall far from my <laughs> right. brain. And um, so, but what I put in my book where, where I started, I started thinking I'm going to write a book about the roadmap, what to do as a caregiver, to your point, Tara. Mm-hmm. But before you can really take the journey, you have to have resilience. You have to build your own well-being or you're just not going to have any thing left in the tank. And so I created something called Pathways to Well-Being. And these are just my, they're evidence-based, they're mm. studies behind everything I chose, but my way, my cocktail for how do you make sure that you build your own resilience and to build it as a practice, like an intentional, yes, I want to go under the, I, I just want to stay in bed all day, but I can't. I've got to drive mm-hmm. someone to treatment and have that be something that you can reframe for yourself. Like, come on, let's go. Oh, absolutely. And and just to kind of piggyback on that, I've experienced with some clients and even personal in my personal life, like when someone's not able to take care of themselves as a caregiver, and then when that person passes, there's like a complete loss of identity. Like now what? Now what do I do? Like just complete, like it's like they're the unknown. Like they had given everything for however long, as being a caregiver and now they don't know who they are anymore. It's so true. It's uh it's yeah. you're you're out of a job. And yeah. in my case, mm-hmm. grieving at the same time. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that that process is like really interesting, right? Is because there has to be a grieving process, not not just at the end, but from from the instant you know that somebody you care about, somebody you love is going to pass away. And how do you manage grieving while still being in relationship with them? What did you learn about that? Well, you're so right about that. You begin grieving right away. And it's not just the anticipation of the loss of someone. Because, again, we were fighting it. We were like, we are going to be the people Mm -hmm. that beat this or get five years or eight years out of it. But you also grieve the loss of you know, the, those people that went to Rome, the, those, they're gone and they're not coming back. And the life that we had, my business practice, his practice, everything was, it, it all looked the same. I, I call this being on the other side of the looking glass. Mm-hmm. Like if you saw us, you would think, oh, they're fine. But we're dealing with stage four cancer, so we're not fine. And so you do begin, I think, grieving that loss of of who you were and what your life was at the very beginning. Yeah. 
when you and Joel were going through this, were you guys able to stay connected in your grief? Because what you're saying is you were, it wasn't just grieving his loss, but it was also the loss of who you guys were just months before. Mm -hmm. Do you talk in your book or did you have an experience of how the two of you guys stayed connected? Yes. And that is why this is so important to your podcast, because we had a great relationship and we were successful in our businesses and we traveled a lot separately. He'd be in one place, I'd be in another place and connect over the weekends. And But what happened with caregiving is it's like everything that was extraneous boiled down into the true essential of what our relationship was. And I do say in my book that I would not wish this experience on myself or anyone else. I hope that people have their partners and their loves of their life for as long as that's possible. Hmm. And going through this, we were able to see, wow, we have a great love. And it was one of the things I'm proudest of is I'm, I could have been really selfish. Like, oh, this is, look how it's impacting me. But, and I'm surprised sometimes looking back on it that I wasn't. It was like I had been a single mom when my daughter was small and it was like that. It was like, okay, this is what's required. It's not a sacrifice. It's what we do. And so th- this kind of dovetails a little bit into something that, that you talk about is that, you know, we look at this experience as, as mostly, a, you know, a challenge and, and something that you're mm-hmm. overcoming. But you talk in your book also about that there were positives, you know, that there were things that came out of this that were enriching to you. And, and, and I, I assume to him as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I call this in my book, The Caregiver's Paradox, because you know, as I said, I look for studies and books and that's how I process and learn things. And what I was finding when I started looking at research on caregiving was all caregiving is difficult. It's negative. It's depleting. It's exhausting. You're going to be sick before the, sicker than the person in your care. You could end up in the hospital before the person in your care. And, you know, caregivers are afraid. We're going to run out of resources. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough time. We're juggling everything all the time. And that was, that's all true. It certainly was my experience. And you do have to find ways of dealing with that. At the same time, it wasn't my only experience. And I began to look at research that described lived experiences of caregivers, where you'd ask a caregiver, you know, in the last 60 days, do you feel like you really took care of this person as best you could with the person in your care. And those studies, and also I began to, people knew I was doing this and I began to attract caregiver conversations and people would call me and ask me to talk to different people in who were in a sudden caregiving situation. And those experiences are balanced. There's also... I feel really proud that I just got through my day in a way that I never thought I could, Mm -hmm. or I'm closer to my mom now that I'm her caregiver. One person said, I, you know, my dad fought in the war and he never talked about it. And now my whole family goes over as I'm taking care of him. The kids come and he tells war stories that nobody had ever heard. Mm. And so it's that idea of, and one person said, I think I was put here on earth. This is the meaning 
that I was put here on earth to find, that to, to take care of my aging parents. Yeah. So uh, I definitely found and experienced those positive things as we're talking about. And uh, that's the paradox. And we have to acknowledge it. It is both. It is not just, oh, too bad you're a caregiver. You're going to you know, go off the deep end now. Yeah, there, uh, there is uh, just one couple comes in mind. Um, it was a few years ago and he was 86. She was a little bit younger and she had been diagnosed uh, with stage four cancer. And he's like, oh, for the first time in my life, I'm going to have to learn about my emotions because she said, <laughs> she said, honey, I'm going to be going through something really difficult and I'm going to need you to be emotionally available. And he was like, I, I don't know what that means. So they show up in here and, you know, when we get our couples in here and most of them are in crisis, it's like, you know what, whatever it is you're going through, like there's no time that's right. Like every moment is a, is a journey and that he was learning about his emotions at 86 so he could be present for his wife who was diagnosed with stage four cancer was just so admirable and brave. Yeah, that's an unbelievable story. And it's, you know, it. everyone responds differently. Mm-hmm. So that's so great to hear. Yeah. I mean, one, one of the things we talk to our couples about is just how when we get into relationship, we don't really have a deep, you know, full understanding of everything we're going to go through with our partner. And what that, that creates is, uh, you know, we're, we're ill-prepared, you know, we're ill-prepared for, for just any transition, whether it's, you know, having kids, kids leaving, getting retired, you know, for you, you know, what, what can you tell people that, that like, you know, going through this experience, seeing this person I love so much, Mm. Um, you know, pass away. What did you learn about relationship? I would say two things that are lessons that I took away. One is one came to me very early in my caregiving, and it it's I tell this story in the book, but it's an analogy that popped into my head that probably happened to me twenty five years ago. I was at a conference and I was leaving. It was five o'clock in the morning. I had to get home and I got in. I had a driver who was taking me to the airport and he turned around and he said to me at a stoplight, um, I have a question for you. What is love? And I, you know, I'm like, it's five o'clock in the morning. I don't know. <laughs> so I guessed at a few things and then he held up a finger and he said, and he's like talking to me through the rearview mirror. And he said, love is a decision. And the word decide comes from Latin to to cut away, size, to cut away. And so when you decide, and his point was, you don't just love someone sort of passively. Every single day, you have to decide, am I going to love this person? And am I going to do what's required when it's hard? Or I don't like how they are or you know, I didn't know marriage would be this way or all those things. And you have to say, uh, no, I'm here. It's an active verb. I'm, it's, I'm going to decide I love this person. And what does that mean? <sighs> and I would say when I became a caregiver, th- I thought of that because caregiving is that kind of a decision. You can't possibly know, yeah. just like when you get married, you can't possibly know how hard it's going to be 
you make these vows like mm-hmm. till death do us part. <laughs> yep. But you can't possibly know what's going to get thrown at you. And you need some, I feel like that love is a decision. Caregiving is a decision. That's what, that's a mantra. That's something to keep yeah. in mind. And and what, I mean, to me, if you wake up every day with that intention, it just reframes your entire experience of that day or those moments. Yeah, I think yeah. that is like absolutely like, you know, usable and actionable right mm-hmm. there. Because I think that so often, you know, our just human instinct is to move away from that which is uncomfortable. We just want to get away from it. We want to push it away. We want to avoid it, whatever. And that choice, and I know just, you know, on a daily basis, it's like, I need to be aware of when my partner is is suffering and when there is difficulty, I need, my instinct might be to move away, but I need to do everything I can to move towards them, you know, and, and I can imagine in going through, you know, when someone becomes a sudden caregiver, I can imagine that there's like this sort of like, you know, this split that, that, that on the physical level, you're, you're taking care of them. But if you're not careful on the emotional level, you could just move away. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that happens. And when I was doing my reading tour of caregiving, there were many stories where someone was diagnosed with a terminal disease and their partner left. I I didn't sign Mm. up for this. Um, that wasn't us, but for the most part, I think even if it's not your spouse in that situation, there are people who mm-hmm. know and love you and can step in as caregiver. So you were just to circle back really quick because you because EJ had kind of asked the question, "What did you learn about the relationship?" And, the, and you said there are two things. First one, love is a decision. Yes. What was the second? (laughs) Thank you. So the second one is that when you come together in relationship, because it's humans we're talking about, we are by nature imperfect. And so we are going to make mistakes. We are going to miss that, you know, my partner's struggling and and I'm more interested in the ball game kind of thing. Uh, And so the one of the the big lessons for me was to grant yourself grace. Mm. Uh, I have a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson. I actually have it stenciled on my hallway wall, my entryway, and it says, live each day and let it go. You did your best. No doubt some blunders and absurdities (laughs) crept in. Forget them as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. I found that quote way early in my life, in my 20s, when I was going through a divorce. And the idea that I could just say, all right, I didn't, it wasn't my best today. I didn't do all the things that my spouse needed or my mom needed or whoever, my kid, but there's, I, there's always tomorrow and I can do, and I can, I can make oh. it up. The problem with that when you're a caregiver, is that in my case, any of the really, you know, stupid, idiotic, selfish things I did, I can't go back and revisit because I lost my husband. And I tell the story in the book because I I really don't want people thinking, oh, they were just so perfect and everything was so perfect and she did everything Mm -hmm. right. And because I didn't. And, um, and I, I kind of tell on myself 
that there was a an evening, it was New Year's Eve, and I wanted something from my husband. And he he was more ill than I understood at the time, to be fair to me, but I just wanted him to come and sit and watch the ball drop. And he said he would, and I waited for him to come upstairs, and he didn't. And I went down, and he was in his office reading a report, and I just thought he was just being stubborn or selfish or just not didn't feel like doing the thing I did. And so I had a temper tantrum and stomped away and went to the guest bedroom and went to sleep. And when I came downstairs, he was he was upstairs in the bedroom and he was sitting up waiting for me. <laughs> it's like, what what how how could you be so nice to me when I was such a brat? But that is a long story, but it says you we're human and everybody's human. So you're going to fight about who makes dinner and who does the dishes and it's irrelevant. And yet you're still two people in a relationship kind of fighting the same fights. What a wonderful moment that must have been for you. And in some ways he was there for you in that moment. um, Yeah. When you felt like it was like your primary responsibility just to be there for him. Exactly. And he was so sweet to me and I even sitting here right now or recounting that for the book, I wish I could do it differently and I don't deserve it, but, um, but grant yourself grace. Absolutely. So one of the uh, parts of your book is when you talk about what happens afterwards, you know, and, and, you know, you navigating that next transition in your life, a caregiver navigating the transition after the person you love passes away. Yeah. Um, This was after my husband passed away. It was bar none the worst year of my life ever for so many reasons. Caregiving is a hero's journey. And when caregiving ends, everyone, you know, they hang out for a little while after the funeral. But basically, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. everyone goes back to their regularly scheduled lives. And your regularly scheduled life is gone. And so um, what I realized was what grief was for me, and I've had people describe this this way. To me, it was like driving down Interstate 95 on a rainy day. And I would drive through, and I was literally driving from Boston to South Carolina to resume my new life. And I drive through like pounding rainstorms and then the sun was out and shining and then it would rain again. And and that's how grief for me is. And that's how other people have described it. It's like I could be walking past the photo of my husband hanging on the wall and burst into tears. And then my cell phone would ring in my pocket and I'd pull it out and be my sister. And I'd like start chatting with her as if I wasn't just sobbing two seconds ago. So part of it is Someone, I think the best advice I got from a very wise person was live lightly in your life. This is not the time to make huge earth-shaking decisions, especially Mm -hmm. about relationships. Just really try to take it a day at a time, a step at a time. Um, And then I will say for me, and everyone is different, I think I call this phase evolution uh, I just started early on to go, what did I learn from this that I that's useful? 
And one thing was I didn't want to just resume my coaching practice. That takes, as you know, (laughs) because you're in this business, it takes Mm -hmm. so much energy and so much personal commitment to help other people through their um, crises. And so I just wanted to do something like nine to five. And I took a job Mm -hmm. in economic development and that worked. And then my daughter had a baby and she was texting me. So it's over a year since I had lost my husband. And I'm sort of, you know, I'm upright. Um, Things are okay. And my daughter texted me and said, I'm going into labor early. And I caught a plane and went to San Diego where they live. And I walked into the birthing room and they had this little (laughs) swaddled creature, my new grandson, Oliver. And they handed this hot little baby body to me and I just held Mm. him to my heart. And honestly... Looking back, nothing changed my trajectory away from grief the way that moment has. Just a a new love, right? New life, new love. Yes. And after a time before I met my now husband and remarried, but for a time, my daughter would say, now, mom, I know you know this. You have to have someone else in your life besides Oliver. He's a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But it it does sound like you just took that time to be with whatever it is you needed to be with. And just one day at a time when I'm working with people in grief, I'm like, you guys, if you have to do every 20 minutes, that's okay. Yeah. Because when you start to think about too much, it's like overwhelming. Yeah. You cannot... Well, and I said, and I say this, the only way out is through and I have no idea what through is. I had no idea what it was for me. I have no idea what it is for other people who are, are in this position right exactly. now. I just know there is a through and you will get to the other side. Humans are incredibly renewable. And if you can allow yourself to find, you know, those moments of happiness, rituals, I moved to the South and in the South, everyone goes to church on Sunday. So I thought, hmm. Here's a gathering of people. I don't even have to do something to be among them except walk in the church door. So I did that. I would go to church and then I would pick up a chicken and the New York (laughs) Times and come home and put the chicken in the oven and read the New York Times at my kitchen counter and drink a cup of coffee. And it was my ritual. And I decided I would just do that as much as it was available to me. And other people do other things, but it's that it was generative and we are yeah. renewable people. Yeah. I think the, th- I think the through from, from, you know, the, the therapeutic perspective is just, is being present for whatever it is mm-hmm. you're going through is allowing yourself to, to feel all the complex emotions around grief. You know, I think it's when, when you're not going through it is when you're coping in negative ways, you when, you're, when, you're, yeah. when you're shoving it down, when you're get through sort of medicating yourself in, in mm-hmm. ways that don't allow you to feel. I think the more people, you know, whether it's through going to therapy or, or like you said, you know, just finding routines that keep you present, I think that allows you to go through the experience. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean... Uh, you bring up therapy. I I think that's the number one thing that if you're going through this evolution of your life and trying to pick up the pieces, 
getting formal support through therapy, counseling. I, there, again, we have this little church here in our town. It's historical. And they offered a, a grief counseling every Wednesday at noon. So I would walk from my office and just go talk to the bishop there. And, you know, that's, again, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I found mm-hmm. those sources so comforting. And so they're like, it's a spiritual exactly. experience. And I feel like people could find that yeah. in themselves and if you could avail yourself. Yeah. So, so tell me, you know, you, you wrote The Sudden Caregiver, but then you, you've also created some, some resources online for, uh, for people who are, who are caregivers. Could you tell us just a little bit about that? Yes. So I have a history in marketing of making everything visual. So I took my grief and created charts <laughs> that are in my book. One is called Pathways to Wellbeing, which I mentioned earlier, and it's six things that as a caregiver you can do to build your own resilience. And the other is the roadmap that I talked about. And that's really helpful to say, okay, I'm in crisis. What can I do that will be useful? And um, and then you just work through whatever phase you're in. Here's a list of things you can apply and, and do. And that uh, those two things are available on my website, which is called thesuddencaregiver.com. And they're free. They're, you just click on a link and you can download them. They're in my book, but mm-hmm. if someone wanted to, if your listeners really were inspired, they could get those and begin working with them right away. Okay, great. And, and so just so everybody out there listening knows, uh, we will, in our show notes, just check out, we'll give a link to, uh, to Karen's uh, website. We'll also give a, a direct link to to where her book can be purchased. I believe you said it's available on ebook or or hard copy. Correct? That's right. It's on Amazon. It's on all the online um, sources that you would go to. Great, great. We'll, we'll offer a couple of those sources. Oh, I just want to say two things. Um, first of all, Karen, thank you for sharing your experience and then using that experience to help others have strategies, resources, support, whatever it is. Um, that's kind of how EJ and I, we went through our own really difficult time in our relationship and hence we developed, he said, she said, couples counseling. And we were able to kind of utilize what we did to now help a lot of other couples. And then number two is just hearing your story and stories of couple of people in my uh, my friend group and also some clients, it's like, you know, we see a lot of couples that come in during a crisis. They've taken each other for granted for years. They're resentful. They're, and it's like somehow a crisis helps them come together. And our passion, EJ and I together, like we, we don't want couples to wait for something like a crisis to happen before they get support to really recognize what's important even though that's just like, I guess the human brain, it's like, oh, when something really bad happens now we will. So I'm just really hoping that our listeners like, you know, it's like, we don't mean to take each other for granted, but we do. And like, just, you know, I'm, I'm grateful every day for my family, my husband, our children, and just that kind of reminder, right. Kind of goes into the positive psychology thing. It just recognizing what's important because we never know if there's a tomorrow. Tomorrow could be very different. Yeah. That is so well stated. And I think that 
that's a big takeaway for me is that life is so short. And I am blessed to be remarried. And I yesterday was our fourth anniversary of meeting, our anniversary. <laughs> And my husband was so appreciative, like we, he cooked me this really great dinner and and he just said all those things that I think people don't say. And we certainly don't say them every single day, but he's like, I'm so happy we met. And, you know, it just was, and we were telling each other all these, you know, all, all the wonderful aspects of being together. And it is also the risk of loving mm-hmm. again is losing again in that way. So mm. I really just, we are only here for 80, 90 years. My grandpa left 110, Karen. <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I tell. That's what I tell my daughter. I'm going to be around a while. I know. All right. Well, we are also, we're going to facilitate a book giveaway of, of the Sudden Caregiver. So good. Uh, so right after you listen to this podcast, please head over uh, to our social media, it'll be through Instagram, which is at relationship underscore renovation, and at Facebook at he said she said counseling. Uh, Karen is uh, generous enough to offer one of the one of her ebooks and one hard copy of the book. So there'll be instructions through our social media to uh, to check out Sudden Caregiver. And yeah, thank you again, Karen. This is incredibly you know valuable information, and uh, you know thank you for 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 sharing your story with us today. Yeah, just so happy to have you here. Thank you, Tara. Thank you, EJ. It was just, it's so, such a pleasure to get, actually get to speak to you. Oh, yeah. thank you. Well, thank you everybody out there once again for listening and uh, take care of yourselves out there. And take care of each other. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.